Clifton and thank you Robert and everybody else who's been involved in our TNG service uh, this evening. Before uh, I begin, we're going to play a little game. Ooh, exciting. Uh, um, what's going to appear on the screen uh, are some things, uh, like some accessories that might go with a specific person. Uh, and I want you to try and tell me what kind of person these accessories might go with. Uh, this, these are not mine, by the way, just in case you're wondering. Uh, but what type of person might have these kind of things in their house? Liz? A bodybuilder, yeah, somebody who's really into their gains, into getting onto that treadmill, lifting the heavy weights and all about uh, the protein. Okay, next one. Uh, what about this one? Who might have these things uh, in their house? Mandy. Mandy might have these things in her house. Mandy does. Somebody who likes walking up really high mountains uh, and also staying in a really lush camper van uh, as well. Uh, who might have these things? James Bond might have these things. If you're wondering why there's a telescope, it's a spyglass. This one's a little bit trickier. Who might use these things? Who might use these things? A weatherman or a weather forecaster, well done. And lastly, we've won. Who might use these things? We've got a nice Bible. We've got a what would Jesus do bracelet. We've got a a little Christian fish. We've got some happy, smiling people looking so happy to be in church, an organ, and a cool Christian worship band as well. Who might use those things? Well, Christians might. You might think if somebody has these things in their life, they might be a Christian. And that lets us know what exactly does a Christian look like? Does a Christian look like somebody who's got all those things and what we're going to see from our reading this evening is a Christian looks like this. Somebody who gazes at God. Now, this letter was written to this church 2,000 years ago. And the reason it was written to them is because this church is in danger. Now, they're not in danger of walking away from the gospel, not abandoning it, but they're in danger of adding to the gospel a Jesus plus religion. And in the passage we heard preached last week, we heard some of the things that they might have been tempted to add on. So maybe extra Christian knowledge, some more rules about festivals and events. To this church in Colossae, being a proper Christian meant listening to people's visions. It meant thinking a lot about angels. And the message in this church was, Jesus isn't enough. Yes, you need Jesus, but actually you need a little bit more. You need something else and something that only we, the false teachers, can give you. And that can be tempting for us, can't it? That if I really want to be a good Christian, a better than average Christian, well, Jesus is great, isn't he? But really what I also need is a Bible of the correct translation. I need to look like a Christian. I need to look like all the popular Christians do. I need my WWJD bracelet. I need to go to Christian camps. I need to listen to 10 sermons a day. I need to know some Christian buzzwords like sanctification and ecclesiastical. I need to tell people that I'm praying for them because isn't that what good Christians say? If you're anything like me, you might think being a Christian is looking through Twitter, seeing what the coolest new Christian book is, buying it, not reading it, but making sure people can see it behind you when you're on Zoom. 
Last week, we thought a little bit about uh, how we can be tempted to think, if only I was friends with those people, because they look like they're great, cool Christians. If only I could be a little bit more like that family who has it all together, then surely I would be a better Christian. And to this, as we heard last week, Paul has something to say. He says, all these things that we stick on to ourselves, hoping that they'll give us either the appearance of Christianity or hoping that they will bring us closer to God, that they're useless. Paul says that these things are in no value at all in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. They're no value at all in making us any more like Jesus. So then how do we grow? Well, let's look at verses 1 to 4. First, our journey as a Christian begins with a miracle. Verse 1, being raised with Christ. God's plan for you and for me isn't just to give us another list of rules, isn't to give us another diet to follow or another festival to go to, but what God does for us is he completely inside out changes us. He makes us something that was once dead and he makes us alive. Jesus brought you to life. Paul is saying here that if you're a Christian, that if you're fully trusting in God to save you from the sin that uh, you deserve to be punished for, then you're no longer dead, but that you are alive. And if you've been with us a couple of weeks, you'll know this isn't the first time Paul mentioned this, mentions this in the book of Colossians. Back in chapter 2, verse 14, he tells this church that they have been made alive in Christ. And in fact, all across the Bible, we see this image. That before we were Christians, the Bible says that we were dead, that we were useless, that we could do absolutely nothing, and it takes God to look at us and to give us life. We were dead, we were useless, we could do nothing about our own problem, but God looked at us, and whenever he raised Jesus from the dead, Paul says that he gives other people life too, he gives life to people like you and me. Whenever you become a Christian, you just don't move from being wrong to being right. You just don't move uh, from becoming believing the wrong philosophy to believing the right philosophy. Whenever you became a Christian, you didn't just say, well, I think I have some free time on a Sunday morning. I might as well go to church. But whenever you became a Christian, you were brought to life. The beginning of your Christian life is a miracle. But notice that this is in the past for these Christians. There's that little word since at the beginning of verse 1. The ESV has a great big if at the front of that. Because this is a condition that you have to be brought back to life if you want to be holy. And maybe for somebody in this building tonight, that being brought back to life is still a future event for you. Being made alive by God is the only the starting point Becoming a Christian doesn't start with going to church. It doesn't start with believing in angels. It doesn't start with going to religious festivals or tidying yourself up in order to be acceptable to God. But it's just God bringing you to life. It's God who makes you alive. And tonight, if you're somebody who doesn't have life, all you have to do is say, Lord, look at me, a dead person. Would you give me a Christian's past and starting point is the resurrection of a dead person into life. The sharing of Jesus' resurrection when they are made alive. Well then, what about holiness? What is a Christian to do 
to be growing in faith? What are you to do tonight in order to be more holy than you were this morning or last week? Now that you've been raised with Christ, Paul says, you have to be a God-gazer. Verses 2 and 3, set your hearts on the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Where should your mind be tonight? Where should your heart be longing for? What should be your goal? What should be your main priority in life? Well, it's to follow Jesus. Being a Christian, remember, isn't just about saying a prayer and signing up for eternal life and moving on and living life in whatever way you want, but it's about a complete inside-out, upside-down changing of your orientation to follow Jesus. As we've already thought tonight, we were once dead, an enemy, a hater, a rebellious person who ignored God and lived life without him. But now that we've been made alive by Christ, now that you've been raised to life by, with Jesus, you actually realize that you can't ignore God and actually living life for Jesus is the only way to save it. There is no other fullness to be had in life as a Christian than to be living for God and following him. What Paul is saying here is we have to be mindful of the eternal, eternal reality that we live in. Remember as you brush your teeth, as you drive your car, as you eat and as you talk with your family, as you go to the shops, as you come to church, to be setting your mind on the things that are above, setting your mind on Jesus and all he has done for you. In all places, through all things, remember that Jesus has died for you and gives you new life. Whenever you have to deal with that really annoying person, whenever you have to confess sin, whenever you have to forgive someone, when you're even tempted to sin, set your mind on the eternal reality that you are a sinner saved by grace and that Jesus Christ has given you life. Paul gives a little bit more detail to where exactly we are to set our gaze whenever we look up in heaven. He tells us where Jesus is. He says that Jesus is seated beside the Father in heaven. And Jesus is in the position of authority. He's seated beside God, the Father. Jesus in heaven is the king of all kings. He's the Lord of all lords. He's a name above every name. So that I know that as I go through life, I don't need visions or angels to help me because I've got Jesus, the name above every name, the most powerful being there is or ever will be. When I set my gaze upon him, I know I've got all I need to live my life as a Christian. When I set my gaze on Jesus, I don't settle for second best. I don't start with Jesus, then move on to other things. But I look to the one who is able to give life, the only one who is able to give life. If I want to grow as a Christian, if I want to be holier, I don't look around me because, sorry, but all I see are other sinners trying to be holy. So if I copied you, it would get me nowhere. If I want to be a holy Christian, somebody who's growing day by day, then I need to look up. Look up to the perfect son of God. Look up to the holy lamb of God, the only perfect person who has ever lived. It's him I want to copy. It's him I want to imitate. And note carefully that this is a command, something that we're told to do. Because living in this world, we're never passively going to say, I'm going to follow God. 
Because living in this sinful, broken world, there are so many things around us that say, look over here, come follow me, come, come, come follow me, make me your golden life. It could be things like sex, it could be money, it could be people, things that say, spend your life chasing after me that aren't God. Being a God-gazer is an active thing, something that we have to make the decision every day, every second, every decision we make. We need to decide whether we're going to set our gaze on heaven. Tonight, will you set your heart and will you set your mind on Jesus? Very quickly, two more encouragements to do so. Uh, number one, your old life is gone. Uh, in verse three, we get the second death metaphor. So Paul is saying to these people, okay, Christians, you've been made alive in Christ. You were dead and now you're made alive. And that old life you lived is dead. It's gone. So don't live like that anymore. We no longer live as we once did because we've been given a new Lord, a new master, and we love and we serve him. Christians don't live dead people's lives, but we set our life on, set our eyes on the new life that Jesus has given. Secondly, the future is Jesus. This new life that Paul is describing, he says, is hidden in Christ. And whenever Christ appears, he says, in glory on the last day, we will all be there too, also in glory. That's your future. No matter what you're doing tomorrow or next week, no matter what birth is coming up, your future is eternity with Christ in glory. And let that future sink in and let that future keep your chin up and keep you looking to heaven. Gaze on Jesus. Gaze on Jesus as a young person, as an old person, as a wife, as a husband, as a single person. Don't waste any of your life gazing back on your old dead life. Don't spend your life gazing at things that are no value, but spend your life gazing on the one who gave everything for you. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we indeed have been resurrected into the life that you now live. We thank you, Lord, for the life that has been given to each of us here. And we just pray, Lord, that if somebody's here tonight that doesn't know you and doesn't have that life, we just pray, God, that you would be speaking to them and just letting them know that they are in a building full of lovely Christians who would love to chat to them. We just pray this week, God, for whatever might happen, whatever we might go through, we just pray, God, that we might set our eyes upon you, the Son of God, who is holy, perfect, and gives abundant life. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.